Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex, the number one HR podcast in Canada. And as always, I couldn't find a better co-host this week. But Shelly, I guess for now, you're uh-huh. still on I'm with it. me. How are you doing? God, I feel so bad for you, Serge, having to tolerate me. We are definitely auditioning more co-hosts because I think there may come a day as well that people are really sick of you bitching. So (laughs) I am absolutely thrilled that we have the lovely, the talented Jesse Ryan joining us today as a co-host. Jesse, welcome to the show. I think you mean to say welcome back to the show, Shelly and Serge. And I want to state for the record that when I was asked to be a co-host, number one, delighted, because often I'm listening to podcasts and needing to bite my tongue or scream out loud in my gym while I'm pretending to lift weights. And it was Serge that said, hey, we'd love you to come on and be a co-host maybe weekly. And I went, Serge, I need you to slow your roll. (laughs) As much as you might think so, Once a week with Jesse Ryan is too much Jesse Ryan. That's all there is to it. So what's new in your world, Jesse? It's been a while. Yeah, we're, I think, 10 months from that earlier episode last fall. Team-wise, exponential growth has come. Everybody's bitch moaning and complaining about not being able to hire great recruiters. This is no word of a lie. We just hired nine Nine new recruiters, all 15 years plus, couldn't be happier. We have seven left. I'm of the the Gary Vaynerchuk mentality, hire quick, fire quicker. (laughs) When someone shows you who they are or what they're capable of, believe them. And we did that. And we let a couple people go before any damage was done and there was any animosity. It just was what it was. But the remaining seven, I'm deliriously excited about. They're all onboarded. They're up and running. And they're quite frankly, they're crushing it. What's your trick? Everyone is having a hard time hiring recruiters. Give me a a one minute rant on how you've been doing it. Flexibility, I would say. So Mm. let's make no mistake. The people that work for High Road, for the majority of them, it is a lifestyle gig. So some of them give me 20 hours a week. Some give me 50 hours a week and everything in between. So we focus on a lot of very senior independents with some, maybe some existing clients of their own. And when they said, oh, I'll take one or two recs within a month, it's, can I have more please? And the beat goes on. So that's where we've had a lot of success, a lot of (laughs) flexibility. I think it's just because you pay really well. Because there's no fucking way of working with Jesse every day that I would want more of that. So, And you'd be correct because they don't. I have a phenomenal leadership team that does all that heavy lifting. So on with the show. Jesse's going to lead us in setting the record straight on the state of RPO. Serge, I know you're going to talk about the fact that there's no robot in our applicant tracking systems. And then I want to talk about now's the time to flex with our hiring managers. With that in mind, Jesse, I'm going to hand the mic to you. Mm. And I'm going to have you talk about um, the state of RPO. Let's set the record straight. Recruitment process outsource. So it's exactly what it sounds like. You might think that there's an Allegis Group Services or a Kelly OCG or a Talent Scout. A lot of people think that they just come in with this big machine, take everything over and run. But a true RPO, what that is, the client is giving you 
their existing process, not yours. You're just a muscle. You're just a horsepower. Here is our process. We need your bodies to execute against our process. And that's really the gist of it. However, I thought about it. And the lunacy that that Shelly came up with, recruitment project outsource, we do a shitload of recruitment projects that are outsourced to us. Just let me jump in here for a second. Here's where this comes from is when, when your chief human resource officer thinks about outsourcing their entire recruitment process, yes, you're the muscle to do the lifting, to call it a project is sometimes more uh, palatable to Mm -hmm. not insulting the existing HR team to say, you know what, I know you guys don't have the skills, so we're going to bring in the big guns, right? So the other thing is it's easier to sell to the rest of the senior leadership team because project infers it's not permanent. So that's where I'm coming from. And when I have heard HR people talk about it and why they call it a recruitment project. But to validate the project aspect of it, let's take a tier one bank, for example. Okay. Unless it's BMO and Talent Scout, uh, a tier one bank in Canada is not going to just flip the switch, fire their 100 recruiters or whatever they've got and say, here, high road, take the whole kit and caboodle. What they will do is they are maxed out, just like every other recruiter in this country at all levels, and they have some very strategic initiatives. And they need a very linear focus on one segment of the business, and they can't hand that off to a generic corporate recruiter because those people Mm -hmm. have day jobs. They have a big rec list. They have competing priorities. So they're like, hey, we can't get to this. This takes a head down, comprehensive effort, a start and end, an outcome, a budget. So that's where they will call us and say, hey, we have an initiative. Take the initiative, the project, Shelley, take it, quote it, and deliver and piss off. And that's what we do. So there on is a project basis on a project basis. Okay. So yep. let me be the first to apologize that I've invented the word project into the RPO <laughs> acronym because knowing that if you call it a project, because that truly is what it is versus I do know there are firms that will come in, bring their technology, bring their processes, bring their brand, or they will white label all of their tech and their process, but essentially they take over for organizations who finally come to realize that HR business partners may not be equipped to recruit. When you comment on the state of RPO, is that something coming or probably not going to be accepted by the Canadian business market? No, no. We have tons of business like that, for Mm -hmm. sure. But they are smaller clients, I'd say small to mid, with little corporate recruitment. And in many cases, no HR. So they need everything. They need it all. So we will bring the ATS. We'll bring the purchasing power with LinkedIn, Indeed, Psychometrics, XREF, you name it. We bring all of that to bear and execute on an as-needed, when-needed basis. And some of those clients, Shelley, they have recruitment problems on a regular basis, but not enough to necessitate a full-time solution. So some of them, We might hear from them five times a year, once a year, 
every other month, it really fluctuates. And that's where our model is very attractive because we are genuinely as needed when needed. Is that retained search then what you're talking about? How is, Absolutely how is it different? Not. How is no, it different? No, because the billing and the execution is exactly the same. If it's a 10 person mom and pop show or a startup mm-hmm. and we need to take care of one requisition, or if it's one of our enterprise clients where we're filling 30 a month, nothing changes. Strategy doesn't change. The resources don't change. The tools don't change. And the asset to execute against it do not change. Everything is the same. It's just micro versus macro. Literally, exactly. no yeah. difference. Okay. None. So looking at right now, so with the great resonance, everything that's going in the market, Jesse, what are you seeing on RPO? Are Is there more propensity to use RPO than there have been in the past because recruiters are just overrun? First of all, I feel that the great resignation is complete bullshit. So come back to that. Okay. Okay. Um, No, come back to that because I want to answer the second part first. What we are seeing and where we're having uh, a lot of success is because of the strain on the employment market and on recruitment teams. What we're seeing is clients, mid-sized clients typically with one to five recruiters that execute very well. They have a process. Everything is moving fine, except the rec list greatly exceeds the bandwidth yeah. their existing team has. Mm-hmm. So even though they have the headcount, the talent level that they want versus their budget in this market is not matching up. So until the market settles down, they're coming to us and saying, we have headcount for recruiter. We can't fill those seats or we're going to be patient filling those seats. Here's everything that those headcount would have taken. So we work in conjunction with their existing team using their technology and absolutely their process. We're seeing a lot of that. Why is the great resignation bullshit? I've been looking at the narrative and most of it's coming from, I'd say, major media. I want to take hospitality and restaurant out out of this because has there been a great resignation there? A hundred percent. I'm not going to dispute that. But the national narrative is that there is a massive resignation. And I don't say this to be sexist because it's the media's words, not mine. All the mothers have decided to stay home. Really? I don't know any of them. And I was thinking, where is the data? Because anytime you read one of those articles, it's Michelle that worked at XYZ and she had it with her boss and the money wasn't right. Okay, that's an anecdote. That's not data. Or Karen decided daycare wasn't worth it anymore, and now she's going to stay home. So it's all these little isolated quotes and and anecdotes that add up to a whole bunch of nothing as far as I'm concerned. And then I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about you, Serge, because of one of your former employers, and you know how it works. Oh, by the way, I finally got on credit card with Indeed. So to that point, you know how it works. Every time we spend a certain amount of money, I get pinged. We hit a threshold and then it just reloads and it goes, it reloads and it goes. But that's PPC. Those are all pay-per-click dollars. So when the media is saying nobody wants to work, nobody's looking, and my PPC budget is on a goddamn flywheel, and I've never spent more in my entire career, I'm thinking... Don't tell me no one is looking. Everybody is looking because they have to click to look. So Jesse, am I wrong, Serge? You are in some ways. So one of the great 
benefits. And this is why Indy's business plan from the start was just pure genius is as more employers go on the site and desperately looking for people, your cost of PPC goes dramatically up. So mm-hmm. you used to pay maybe four years ago, 10 cents. Right now, they've done a couple of things that actually increase your PPC. So you get charged for two clicks. So you get charged when you click on it first and it opens that second pane, which in the past, it used to drive directly to your career site. But the whole model is based on how many employers are competing for the top slots. So we know for a fact that there's 40% less job traffic than there was a year, two years ago. And there's 40% more jobs. So that is increasing your PPC. Shelly, just chime in on this. Yeah. So the other part is we are comparing pre-COVID and realize pre-COVID what percentage were unemployed. And that's the comparison. So we're not comparing this time over last year because we were in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we still are. But what, what has shifted completely is what was working for a job family, i.e. let's talk about trucking. Let's talk about how many drivers were furloughed and said, I'm not going back to that again. What was working one year ago in terms of attraction strategy for truck drivers is now not working at all. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And those segments, those job titles, or even, dare I say, those socioeconomic levels. So, Serge, your point is well taken, but my bottom line is don't tell me there's dramatically less activity because even if it's double click, even if they're getting two for one, there's still a tremendous amount of activity, but there are, as you said, and I concur, a greater opportunity and Where we can see that really manifesting is with our smaller or niche clients where their brands are relatively unknown, where a couple of years ago, that posting might have done reasonably well. And now it's doing basically zero because there's 20 other well-known flashy uh, brands that, that are essentially the exact same posting. And Jesse, I I really like your viewpoint. I think you made some good points, but I do strongly believe that the great resonation is real. I, I agree. I've read articles exactly to your point. It's very anecdotal. It's one person. But what we've seen, and there is a McKenzie study that they put in place on the impact of COVID-19 on women's employment, and there is a dramatic difference between the men and the women coming back into the workforce. And I'm seeing it firsthand. I work directly with a lot of corporate type of recruitment, and we have never seen this amount of attrition that we've seen. And these are considered really good employers. I do think we are going through a massive shift. Your points are real. I'm not seeing that attrition in our client base. I bet you. Is your client base one job category though? So talk more about that, Jesse, because I I know for manufacturing, assembly work, drivers, yes, hospitality, but also customer service and customer care. Where I thought you were going to go was what's bullshit about the big resignation is those people who were furloughed aren't coming back to the same job family that they were in before. True. So that's what's creating almost like this food chain effect of if I was in hospitality, got furloughed, brought back furloughed, first of all, shitty shifts, shitty pay, Mm -hmm. 
And if you've got a leader that can't tell you until seven o'clock tonight, whether you're working tomorrow or not, fuck you. My life and my time is more valuable than that. So it did move up a food chain. The other thing we're not talking about is that immigration is a big part of our labor force. And that came to a screeching halt. Nobody's relocating their whole family. And if they are, they're having to wait based on COVID restrictions, et cetera. Now that has a a ripple effect in the labor market. So let's jump into our next recruitment insight. Shelly, introduce what you want to talk about. Okay. When we started the Recruitment Flex and came up with the name, it was always under the idea that we would have knowledge bombs with the opportunity that somebody listening would go, okay, I learned something today. When I look at the timing right now for recruitment teams, Jesse, you just talked about the point that even though you've got a fully staffed team of five, you can't continue to pile requisitions on top of people. You're crushing them. You are crushing them. So you do need to look at other solutions. Now, I think if we back that up and say, listen, talent acquisition pros, now's the time to flex. When you're doing your hiring manager intake, now is the time to say, okay, first of all, are we being realistic about um, how many recs you have on your desk? Can you now say, I can get to this in probably six weeks? Because recruiters do tend to always say yes, yes, yes. It's in their nature. I'm saying right now is the time to flex your recruitment muscles with your hiring leaders to start setting some realistic expectations at the intake step. That is question, do we really need these credentials? Are we really paying the right pay range? And don't go to market just to prove you were right. If you've been listening to the Recruitment Flex, we bring on experts from around the world, leverage those knowledge bombs that we're bringing and follow those other leaders when it comes to compensation. Because to go out to market six weeks later, you come back telling the hiring leader what you knew from the beginning was that this job we need to pay more for. So don't go to market if you know that this pay rate is too low and really push back on getting buried. Shelly, why do you think recruiters don't like saying no to these types of situations? What's your take on that? I can only speak for myself. When I got into recruitment, I am the eternal optimist. And I honestly believe there's a solution for everything. And so in working with a hiring leader, I know I I can help them. I know I can fill this. And saying no or not right now is probably built in the agency world. And in the agency world, um, that's how you fed your family, Mm. was your sense of urgency. And you would never say no to a new opportunity or a new order. And maybe that's carried through. I I know it certainly has for me. Um, I think it's it's trait-based. And what I mean by that is a good recruiter, whether they're agency, corporate on salary, or hourly, Mm -hmm. like my team, they have a competitive trait, meaning they like to win. Just, just want to win. You certainly prefer it a hell of a lot more than losing. And you hate to turn down the opportunity that might enable you to win. But back to intake, Shelly, I have one mantra when it comes to an intake. And I think it, it covers everything you're talking about now or in any economic place. And I actually memed about it a couple of years ago. And I said, if you as a recruiter go into an intake, and you come out with the same document you went in with, you have failed the organization, 
you failed the hiring manager, and you failed yourself. It is incumbent upon you to have impact and influence mm-hmm. and affect change with reality, which I can't remember the last time we had a hiring manager that was based in reality with regards to their needs. So it's up to us to go in there with something unrealistic and come out with something realistic and viable. So that's my mantra. It will be for now and forever, and it will cover all of the concerns you're having about it today. Mm-hmm. So I think we all agree, this is the time to flex our muscles when we're working with our hiring managers of the reality of the market. And the ability to fill these roles is really the information that these people are going to provide us, but also give us the flexibility and reality of what's going on in the recruitment spaces. Am mm-hmm. I in the same page as you, Shelley? Absolutely. Do you know, and to... I guess to support that is the ability to give everyone permission to question why is this such an important credential? And I love your meme. Can you find it? Can you repost it, Jesse? Because you're absolutely right. If all you're doing is being yes to the hiring leader, then you're right. You're not doing your job. It is is time to um, push back. And we're in a position now that we're turning down business or cautioning our clients with business. So if I'm taking a rack and it's Mm -hmm. a new client per se and giving it to one of my team members, I'm telling the client, listen, based on what you've told me and you're rigid or it is what it is, these things can't change for the following reasons. Here's the reality of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Am I guaranteeing we're going to fill this role? Absolutely not. What I will guarantee you is that we will leave no stone unturned. And if we are unsuccessful, we will be able to quantify why. Because the market will always tell you the truth. And we can come back and say, your brand sucks. The market is telling us you couldn't pay a million dollars for me to work there. They have two people doing the job at ABC company. Two people are doing the job you're asking one to do. And guess what? We have 50 people to reach out to, but the first 10 have basically told us the same thing. So do you want to pivot client? You want to up the comp? Do you want to make it virtual? Or do you want us to hold your ground? And if you want to hold your ground, we're out. Because we treat your dollars like our dollars. This is going to fail. I told you in the beginning, you decided Mm -hmm. not to listen. You went for the needle in a haystack. It didn't work out. Now I have to say, fuck you, pay me. And I don't want to be that guy. I don't want bad news stories at High Road. We want Mm -hmm. to win. I'm one of those Mm -hmm. guys that wants to win. So we caution our clients. And sometimes they're smart and they go, you know what? Maybe now is not the right time. Or we can adjust the taste of the market, but rarely, but rarely. Really good insights. Let's move on to the next recruitment insight. So this is mine. And I don't know what's the best word to describe, but it really drives me insane when I see these types of articles. And I see it all the time over LinkedIn from resume writers or resume professionals. Find a way to get your resume to bypass ATS. And they sell this service, which is complete bullshit. So this study by the Harvard Business School talks about that 75% of companies that are using ATS are rejecting candidates with automatic filtering. 99% when we talk about Fortune 500 companies. Where do we even go with that? Because we're all in the recruitment space. We've all seen hundreds of different ATS. We've all worked with different companies. And I have not seen 
more than one or two companies that has an automated rejecting system in their ATS. So where is this bullshit coming from? I really don't get it. What's your take, Shelly? This is a big one because it's the perception that there is a robot inside that reads the resume. I've yet to see one that works. I've just viewed one last week and the parsing technology doesn't work where you upload your resume and then it fills in their fields. If that's what they're referring to, that you're being rejected based on that. What they're talking about is like an AI matching tool that's taking the skill set and you can put different filters such as, I only want people that have graduated from this university or have worked at this company. Reject everyone that has a six months gap on their resume. I know some companies are doing very similar to that. What I'm saying it's a very small minority of companies because most companies are not that sophisticated when it comes to their ATS. They don't even know how to use the basic functions of their ATS. True. And now you think they're going in-depth and creating all these filters and the different matching technology to be able to weed out candidates in a market that getting 5, 10, 15 candidates for one job is very difficult as two years ago, you get two, 300 candidates. They are using this as a reason to say that candidates are getting rejected unfairly. And it's because of this recruiting technology, which I'm calling bullshit because most corporate Recruitment departments are not that sophisticated. And most of them have ATS from 1988. They don't even have a recent ATS. Don't tell me Taleo can fucking do this. And I agree with you. The resume parsing, they can't even figure out resume parsing. Do you think they can figure out how to reject candidates based on minute details? I really don't think so. I think we're all 100% on the same page. And while you were talking, Serge, something occurred to me. So this is a new thing where people are, again, bitch moaning, complaining about being filtered out. But the last bitch moan complaining about technology was that nobody's getting declined. I just get absolutely ghosted. How can you not be declined and take the leap to I was filtered out when you don't even know you've been rejected, which we know happens more times than not? Those two things don't correlate at all. And to support everything you guys have been saying, we probably work with at least 15 clients that have applicant tracking systems. I'd say overall, it's probably about 10 different systems. I've never seen or used a filter in 23 years. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that that none of my consultants or my clients, and that's 15 ATSs, many at at the enterprise level, are using that. None. None. The only thing I could say back in the day that I was guilty of, I'd open up a resume and I'm a really shitty IT recruiter. And if I had to look for an acronym like AS400, I'd open the, the, the resume and do a keyword search on that. But that was the limit of it. Technology wasn't doing it for me. I guess it was a keyboard, but not filtering, searching. Well, th- There's a perception out there by a lot of candidates saying, I have this qualification, I have all the education, I have all this experience. 
I should have been hired. But a lot of people are not rejected because they're not qualified for the role. They're rejected because there's a better candidate. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's not technology mm-hmm. rejecting them. You can have all the experience in the world. You can be completely qualified. But there can be someone better than you. And that's just life. That's just life in general. So 100%. to come up and say the excuse is because a robot rejected me. We all know it's not robots rejecting you. It's people rejecting you when it goes through the resume. Shelly, you have something Absolutely, yeah. And so further to that, and I've talked to those candidates who said I was perfect for this job. And I do follow up with candidates that have questions and feel that they were unfairly treated. And I ask them, can you read the job posting to me? Do you know what they did? They read the title of the job. And they applied, believing that they were perfect for it, when in fact, they had not read the job posting at all, because what they're using is a job description that was written in 1990. So there's a disconnect there for sure, because people are looking at these postings and they don't even know what AS400 is. Of course, I don't have it. So they don't even apply when in fact, it's got nothing to do with what the job is. And you Um, found an article that completely debunked this study, right? I did. So the Verge headline was clickbait. Yes. You know, it it totally was because that study is 84 pages long. And this morning I read the first 34 pages of it. Oh my goodness. And so there was an ERE article this morning that was calling out the Verge for saying, you guys are just using clickbait to say that robots are rejecting 95% of candidates. No, they're not. People are. And where is this technology? So that's what I wanted to find out. Because if Harvard Business School has done this review of applicant tracking systems, well, show me the receipts. Where's your fucking research? Show me what applicant tracking systems you are talking about. So what I did was cross-reference where they're saying applicant tracking system technology is screening people out. Then they reference a study from 2014 that talked about the up-and-coming job boards like Monster. Up and coming. <laughs> okay, wait a but, minute. But Shelly, Shelly, the New York Times article cited that they had spoken to literally thousands of executives. Thousands, I tell you. And correct me if I'm wrong, I could be, but I read that whole article by Mr. Joseph Fuller, Harvard MBA, who's made a career out of this particular narrative. And if I read the article again, I don't think the word talent or recruiter exists in the article or human resources. Who are they talking to? Executives that are hiring managers? No wonder that's where it comes from. There's no connection. That's a really good point because in reality, a lot of this is usually done with people that are not in the job day to day. For us that live and breed this, we know better. And the one last point I want to leave you on this, and this really drives me crazy, and I feel it's is being vultures, is these resume writers or job search specialists that are preying on people mm-hmm. that are desperate for jobs and telling them, hey, I can make your resume bypass the applicant tracking system or we can create one for the applicant tracking system and one for your regular, basically doubling their charge. Please stop doing that. It is repulsive. They are selling a service that is not needed. But on that note, another fantastic show. You're right, Jesse. You talk a lot. You almost uh, talk more than uh, Shelley. But Jesse, what's going on in your world? Where can people find you? Exciting news. So if this airs Friday, then I will 
say three days ago, we did something that we felt was rather innovative. Uh, Serge, I know you've already seen it and commented. I haven't seen another one, particularly on LinkedIn, but we launched our first ever high road commercial, <laughs> video commercial. And in fact, we, we filmed it remotely in your home province, sir. That was done out of Alberta. I've got some great friends there that put that all together and we couldn't be happier with the result. It's going to be a series. There'll be another one coming out in a few months. Let's put it this way. They get better. While your podcast is number one in Canada, let's not forget, I did have a little podcast called The Accidental Occupation that preceded you by many years. So we felt that was rather innovative. And now we're doing the next innovative thing and putting out which I see as the, the first commercial. Perfect. Jesse Ryan on LinkedIn, right? Jesse Ryan. And if you're looking for me on social media, you won't find me under my name. You'll find us under The Accidental occupation. Because if recruitment ain't accidental, I want to hear your story. Thank you, Jesse. Another great show. Thank you so much. And I'm going to go find that commercial. So it'll be released on Friday. It's out now. Oh, it's out right now. Oh my gosh. It's out now. But if you're listening Friday, (laughs) it came out Tuesday. Okay. Not confusing. (laughs) It's live. Okay. Go find it. It's live. It's live. Is it on the high road um, site? 100%. 100%. You can okay. find it on my personal feed. You can find it on the the, the company feed. And we put out a pretty um, substantial national targeted campaign attached to it as well, using those wonderful LinkedIn advertising tools. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. We'll talk again. Great to be back, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.